Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Rancid Taco Movie Review Podcast. I'm Skylar Sanders here with my champion Sicilian liar friend, Mason Weir. And today we will be forming a true romance and also reviewing a true romance. Well, it's not a romance movie per se, but I think I still hold that it's one of the best date movies you can have because it does have the romantic aspect to it. Like there's a romance story happening in there, but it also has, you know, sex and drugs and uh, violence and all that. So you can get you can get the best of both worlds in there. I can see that. And a lot of the romance is in the first 10 or 15 minutes. So you might make some headway in that time. Yeah, yeah, and you can hook you can hook the girl you're with, uh, or your your partner with the romantic scenes in the beginning, and then your partner. Yeah. Way, way to be PC. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't, it's whoever you want to watch it with, you know. But if somebody has a romantic side, they get hooked in the beginning, and then the second half you can get the bloodlust that you need. So we should say, True Romance came out in 1993, and got 93 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. And it's a good movie. It's a little uneven at times for me, but it's really good. And it's got a lot of things to love about it. And you've always told me it it may be your favorite movie of all time. Yeah, it's up there for sure. It's one of the movies I've watched the most. And I just just think it's a really complete movie. Like, I don't dislike anything. I can't find any holes, really, that are going on in the script. Even though there's plenty of places where there could be holes, I think they do a good job of uh, uh, slightly addressing everything so it's all plausible. But uh, for this one, I got turned on to it, I think, at a pretty young age by my neighbor, John. He turned me on to it. And I don't know. I, I all There's so many good actors in it. And it's just such a fun ride of a script, I feel like, that it's just uh, it, uh, it really gets me every time. Well, I really agree with the good actors, and I think that's the best part of the movie is the cast. So to get into the cast a bit, it's led by Patricia Arquette as mm-hmm. the female lead. I remembered her from Stigmata, but more recently she was in a string of episodes of Boardwalk Empire on HBO, and she was pretty good in that. She's yeah, got she's- a lot of other acting credits, but that's what I know her from the most. Yeah, and this is really the only thing that I that I really know her from. But anything I've seen her in, she seems to do a good job. I, there was like a show Medium for a while where she was like a psychic uh, detective, and she could use her psychic abilities to find out what happened and things like that. And it was it was pretty interesting. Well, she is a member of the famous Arquette acting family, which includes former WCW champion David Arquette. Really. Yeah, and Alexis Arquette was on this show I watched, like a rehab show once. So that family's pretty famous. It's it's always weird to me to think that there's a family of actors and they're all good at it. Yeah, it's interesting how that happens. Like uh, for the Wilson brothers, Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson, I'm just like, man, they're both really good. You know, they, they both do a good job at whatever they whatever they do. And I'm like, it's just interesting to to think that they. Yeah, do that. Or the Sheens. Yeah, the Wahlbergs. Yeah, well, yeah. Mark and Donnie. I don't know any of the other ones, but Donnie well, was good. I always liked Donnie. Mark, it's funny, too, because Donnie was a, one of the new kids on the block. That's like, he, he was the first one to get kind of famous. And then I think Mark's a better actor, but uh, he hasn't done any movies that really 
you know, I think, whoa, what a great acting performance, except for maybe Boogie Nights. Or the he was good in The Departed. Yeah, yeah, he was in The Departed. Yeah, I was very excited for The Happening, but it that movie sucked, and he wasn't great in it either. wasn't Wasn't much happening in The Happening. No, there was very little happening in The Happening. <laughs> Let's move past the uh, the Wahlberg family, which has nothing to do with this movie. Yeah, exactly. Also, the cast is led by one of my favorite actors when I was a kid. I absolutely loved Christian Slater. Really? He was he was in Prince of Thieves, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, which I've told you time and again is one of my all time favorites. He was in Cuffs, which I loved. He was the big brother in this movie called The Wizard about this kid that's like destined to travel co- cross country and play Nintendo. Oh, I remember that because he had the power glove. Yeah, I, I was so thrilled when that movie first came out about a kid playing Mario. Yeah, just incredible. And Christian Slater was a big part of all these movies. Cuffs, for whatever reason, I haven't seen that in 30 years, but I'll always remember Christian Slater in Cuffs with a K. Yeah, he really he really hit in the early 90s, I guess, late 80s, early 90s. He really hit his peak of stardom and then kind of kind of went away pretty quick, I think. He didn't last for too long like the leading male that we thought he was going to. Even though he's he's been working steadily since, he just never he didn't maintain that stardom like, say, uh, Tom Cruise or Brad Pitt or some of the other actors around that time, Matt Damon, like that became famous and kind of stayed there. Yeah, and he's good in this, but I probably like him the least out of the cast or, some, or maybe close to the least in terms yeah, of the performance. Does. I don't think he does as great of a job as some of the supporting members. No, I think he does a really good job, but it's a little overshadowed by all the other supporting characters. He was in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm where Larry calls him out for eating too much caviar at a house party. <laughs> it, the whole episode is based off him ratting out uh, Christian Slater. I, I love that. That episode's really funny. Yeah, that's funny. So that's the two leads, but the supporting cast is the strongest part of this. And uh, it's just a, a laundry list of stars or soon-to-be stars after this movie. Yeah, there's Brad Pitt. He's the roommate of one of Clarence's friends, and his character is the inspiration for the movie Pineapple Express. That's funny. I remember uh, reading something that, like, Brad Pitt on the set, like, everybody knew Brad Pitt was about to, like, take off and become a huge Hollywood star. But he wanted to originally play uh, Clarence, but they cast Christian Slater as it. And then he, so he took this smaller role and decided to, like, you know, and they, I don't think they had much like written for the character, but he just kind of did his thing. And that like Jamaican tan that he wears, like the head, the hat, uh, he found it in the alleyway, like before they were, while they were shooting and just started wearing it around and shit. And like, it was a interesting, interesting story. Well, he's one of the funnier characters. Everyone knows Brad Pitt. He's been in everything. So not a whole lot needs to be said about him. He's pretty good. He's, he's pretty awesome. I always put Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise on on the level, but Brad Pitt is the superior version of Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, I don't think – he has some roles where he just really blows me away, and I'm like, man, he's such a good actor. And then he has other roles where I'm just like, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) So he's kind of – he takes risks. I like that. He he takes wild risks with his characters, and I've seen them work and not work, I guess. But I, I respect that he takes the risks. Speaking of being in a lot of roles, we have Samuel L. Jackson, 
who has probably been in a thousand movies throughout his life, hasn't he? Is he not in everything? Yeah. He's in pretty much everything. He he's like the most working actor in Hollywood. He just he just like he doesn't say no to any films. His role in this is very minuscule, but I feel the need to always point him out when he's in a movie. So he's in there. And then my favorite and one of my all time favorite actors, Big Jim, James Gandolfini, famous for playing Tony Soprano. Tony Soprano is maybe my favorite character, fictional character of anything ever. It's the performance of Tony Soprano. It's just blows my mind every time. And in this movie, he plays a mafia henchman or a hitman. So it's great. It's wonderful. Surprise, surprise. He plays an Italian mobster in this one. And it's uh, not too far off of of his role from Sopranos. uh, So... No, it's like Tony at his most twisted. I think in this movie is the most evil version of Tony. Yeah, it's like maybe Tony coming up or something, yeah. Well, I was thrilled when I was watching this because I've I've seen The Sopranos a hundred times or more. And when you watch his face and see his facial expressions and to see what what would later come out as this iconic character, this movie took place almost a full decade before that. And so you, you start to see these early things. I felt like seeing da vinci draw the first you know the tip of the toe of whatever da vinci draws but you know yeah, what i'm he, saying it's like it's, and, it's awesome and he really does such a good job because his character has only got one crucial scene really and he takes it to like the max you really you really get an idea of the character from not much dialogue it's yeah. the darkest scene in the movie i think yeah it's the, definitely one of the scarier moments in the film where you're just kind of like oh shit what's gonna happen and part of it has to do with this, the menacing, twisted nature of this gangster. It's, he's, he's, a, he's a scary dude. Yep. And speaking of scary dudes, another amazing performance. And I know you like this one. Mm. I've really come to enjoy Gary Oldman and everything we've watched him in so far. He's, uh, yeah. he's just moving up and up the ranks every time. And he is awesome in this as Drexel, the oh, drug dealer. This, this character is probably my favorite character of the movie, I think. And he plays the it's he's so fucking out there with this character and did so, it's it's he just transforms himself in every role that he plays and it's a, almost a completely new human being every time and it's always truthful and it's and it's always honest and it's always captivating it's just, he's always so captivating to watch and and this character is so interesting that I I love it yeah it's so over the top that it shouldn't be good. But they pulled it off perfectly. I mean, it's so ridiculous, the, the idea of this person. But then <laughs> the performance of Gary Oldman is just so good that it, it actually ends up being believable. And really, the scene that, that sucks you in, I think, at the beginning. Yeah, you're, you're almost thinking, this guy shouldn't exist in the real world, but he really brings him to life. So I've only got a few more written down here. There's plenty of other guys, but Christopher Walken is one I wanted to point out. Most famously for me, he was in Sleepy Hollow as the Headless Horseman. He yeah. used to ride around and just go, <sighs> <sighs> which was yeah. great. And also, Superb. he is the all-time great SNL skit, the more cowbell thing. So that that's another yeah. great Christopher Walken moment. Yeah, I mean, we don't have to mention his. He's got some great movies, Deer Hunter. You know, there are all kinds of movies in there. Yeah, so so he's awesome. And then this one, he is. Not quite the Don in this mafia. We never actually see the Don, but I guess he's the the right-hand man of the mafia Don. 
Yeah, but I mean, that's just like the main supporting characters. I guess another really big character is Sal Rubinek, who plays Lee Donowitz, who I don't really know him from. A, I've seen him in a couple other things, but he, I think he does a really good job in this. Yeah, I liked the guy that played Lee. We missed Dennis Hopper. Oh, yeah, Dennis Hopper, of course. Don't forget Bowser himself, Dennis Hopper. Yeah, yeah, Den- and Dennis Hopper needs no introduction either, but he does a good job in that. His scene with Christopher Walken is a pretty iconic scene. Like, a lot of people remember this scene from the- this movie. Doesn't really age so well in our PC world. <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. Yeah, they, they, it's, a, it's controversial to say the least. There's like there's I mean even more people can we can go down this list and like say that names that are familiar Chris Penn, Sean Penn's brother, Tom Sizemore who was also in uh, Natural Born Killers which we just reviewed, Kevin Corrigan who plays he's pretty well known he's pretty well known in a lot of uh, a lot of he plays the villain in Pineapple Express which we were talking about earlier, and I do have actually a quick story to tell about Kevin Corrigan, so. Me and my friend Norris were in Brooklyn one night. We went after work. We got off and we went to this German beer hall. And we were sitting at we were sitting at the beer hall, and there was like this movie festival thing going on up the street at BAM. And we're a bunch of people like Catholic, like it looked like a cast party all came in or whatever. And we're sitting there, and me and him are having this heated conversation between what was the difference between a lamb and a goat. And I just turned to my left because there was a guy standing to the left of me. And I'm like, hey, what's the difference between a lamb and a goat? And it turns out that it's Kevin Corrigan. And I didn't realize it at first, but I'm like, this dude looks familiar as hell. And he's Did he like, respond oh. to you? Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, I don't, man, I don't know. That's a, that's a good question. And he sat there and talked to us for like five or six minutes. And the whole time Norris is like on IMDB trying to figure out who this dude is because he knows it's somebody. And I know it's somebody in it, but I'm like trying to hold a conversation as a normal human without freaking out. And then like afterwards, we figure out who it was and we walk outside and he's standing outside and we're like, hey, man, I didn't even realize that you're you're Kevin Corrigan. And, and, you know, like I like all your work and stuff like that. And we chatted with him for a minute and he invited us to his show. He was playing bass for a band somewhere in New York. And he was like, yeah, I'm doing I'm playing bass for this band. If you guys want to come check it out or whatever. Oh, that's awesome. Did you yeah, meet up with did, him again after that? No, we didn't go check it out. But uh, but that <laughs> you was... pray, you're like, oh well, we met him. No, we're good, bro. We don't want to hear you. But yeah, yeah. We, we enjoy your work, just not your music. Well, I don't think he was inviting us to go hang. <laughs> he wasn't inviting us to go hang out with him. He just was trying to get us to go to his show. He might so, have been. He might have been if we'd have showed up. I don't know. But uh, we stood up, Kevin Corrigan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then, let's take a break, and when we get back, we will begin our own little true romance oh yes so we begin true romance with an introduction to clarence uh, i didn't write down his last name what's his last name worley worley clarence worley played by christian slater and in this opening scene he's in a bar with a girl named lucy and they talk they flirt a little bit. They both express that they love Elvis, or well, particularly that they want to have sex with Elvis. <laughs> yeah, well, he expresses that he says, I'm, I ain't gay, but I always said, if I had to fuck a guy, if I had to, it'd, it'd be, be Elvis. Elvis. Yep. Yeah. And so he thinks maybe there's a future between them, and he invites her to a, a kung fu viewing, three movies and one screening. Sounds like a fun afternoon. 
Well, for him, yeah, but uh, the girl's not really into it, and he's trying to force it a little bit. He's, we get the sense that he's looking for love a little bit. Yeah, he's looking for love, and she loses interest when he says he's into kung fu. So she leaves, and he is dejected and still looking for some true romance. Yeah. So now we get an introduction to his counterpart. And at first when we see Alabama, played by Patricia Arquette, She's actually the narrator because they're playing this Hans Zimmer music. Hans Zimmer is the composer of this movie. He's famous for composing The Lion King, Gladiator. Uh, He did the Dark Knight trilogy, which we did. He's a world-famous composer, and this nice, catchy, quirky theme plays as the narrator says, I never thought I'd find true romance in Detroit, but I did. Yeah, and it's like this, it's this wonderful little light. There, the song's actually on a commercial right now uh, that I saw recently, but it's got this great little xylophone, like... It, it like, literally is like you're watching the opening scene of The Lion King, like you're running through a, a grassland plane or something. <laughs> I don't get that, but okay. Well, he used almost this exact same thing in The Lion King maybe two years later. But I yeah. loved it at this point. I thought, man, what a great, quirky, catchy, playful theme. This is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I like the opening scene because we get this philosophical nature of, uh, of Clarence. He's got like a little, it, it expresses a little bit of his philosophy and his love for Elvis and says, I used to watch that hillbilly and I wanted to be him so bad, things like that. So we get this idea that Clarence... Uh, we just get a feel for him a little bit. It's nice. Yeah, and Alabama now is in the theater as Clarence is in there watching the movies alone. And she spills her popcorn all over him and spills her refreshments on him. She sits down next to him, and so they have incidentally run into each other. And it's kind of a love at first sight situation, or it seems that way, at least. Yeah, well, she spills her popcorn on him, and he's... And she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Do you mind if I, and like, I didn't mean to do that, whatever. And uh, then she sits behind him and she goes, do you mind if you, you mind catching me up on what happened? So she like jumps over the seat and starts sitting with him and is brushing popcorn off of his lap. And he's, he's trying to kind of fill her in on the story and what happened. They're just, they just hit it off right off the bat. Yeah. If I was Clarence here, I would. I would have been pretty annoyed with this woman. I'm pretty picky when it comes to a movie theater. I hate when people talk during the movie and she's like, will you fill me in? I'd be like, shut up lady. And you kind of see that on his face. Like he's like, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. So you sure. And he's, tra- he's like trying to fill her in real quick. And she's like talking to him. He's, he's not, he's not like re- super receptive to it. I mean, he's doing it, but it seems like on the look on his face is kind of like, uh, okay. What the fuck? So also a little fact I I recognized when I was researching this movie, Jack Black was in this movie in a deleted scene, which appeared here. Really? Yeah, he is a movie theater usher who comes in and and screams at everyone that it's time to get out. The show is over. (laughs) That sucks that that got cut. Man, that would have been another superstar to add to the list. Yep. You can find that one on YouTube, but it's not in the, the version of the movie I watched. That's cool. So after the movie, they they hit it off in the parking lot. They talk about going for a piece of pie after a movie. And it's a very romanticized conversation. It's not just like, hey, you want to have a piece of pie? She's always like, hey, Clarence, 
do you like to have a piece of pie after a movie? And he's, you know, he's charmed by the way she's speaking. And they're obviously yeah. smitten with each other. It's a, there's some sexual innuendo going on there. Oh, yeah, I guess that is. I didn't even pick up on it. Yeah, I guess it is sexual a bit. Yeah. So they go to this cafe. It's the darkest cafe ever, right? What is this place closed? Yeah, it's definitely dark. Yeah, it's a Detroit style cafe, I guess. It's grun- grungy and low lit. Yeah, they're eating in the pitch black almost. Their pie. Well, the best part is, is that the whole the scene starts out with him finishing telling the story that he told the other girl. Yeah, you know, about about Elvis. It's like, yeah. So anyway, I'd have sex with Elvis, but but let, let's talk about you. Like, yeah, enough about the king. What about you? So, but it plays infinitely better to her. Like, she's into it. She digs it. Yeah, she does dig it. And then once they leave the cafe, he takes her to, I guess it's his place of work, like a comic book store. Is, is that what it is? Yeah, he works in a comic book store. And it's closed down. They don't really develop the backstory of Clarence a whole lot, but I guess he used to have a job. He doesn't have this job anymore. He's somewhat nerdy or regarded as nerdy. No, I mean, I think he, he still has the job at this time. Because his boss is the one that sent. Oh, spoiler! Oh, yep, 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 yep. Yeah, he has, he has a boss. <laughs> yeah, he he works in this place. He has a boss. All of this is just meant to build the budding romance between Alabama and Clarence. Yeah, I did want to point out though here at the comic book store, he tells a story of a marine that dove into the ocean to find a ring that was he was wearing around a necklace. Where do you think they got that brilliant idea? It's the super, or it's the Spider-Man story, isn't it? Oh, no. It's Legend. That's right. Legend. What? Yep. No. Yeah, remember Legend? Jack and Lily? The, the, the... It, yeah, he's not a Marine. He's not a Marine, but he jumps in the water looking for a <laughs> so, ring of true love. So, yeah. Oh, so, so Bilbo, uh, you know, or... Uh, Beagle, you know, or Deagle jumps in the water. Maybe it's about him. Maybe it's about Deagle jumping in to get a ring. Maybe Deagle was inspired by Legend too. Listen, no one was inspired by Legend. All right. Well, maybe they weren't inspired by Legend, but they were inspired by something because they now go back to Clarence's apartment and have some hot, steamy, puby sex. Some obligatory '90s silhouette sex. Yeah, I could have done without seeing all of Christian Slater's pube silhouettes. Hey, that was that was the best part. That was the best part. Why did I know you would like that? Because he's so sexy. <laughs> he's not. He's just hairy. Yeah, hair's hot, dude. I mean, yeah. listen, I'm not saying that just because I'm hairy, but that also just happens to coincide. Yeah. Well, they. <laughs> it was a, a great sex scene, but not really. I wasn't nah. feeling the music that they were playing here, and it was just kind of corny and weird. Yeah, the music's a bit cheesy. The scene's a bit, the sex scene's a bit cheesy. It, it really, I mean, it's necessary because you need to see them like really consummate their love for each other, I guess. But yeah, it's a forgettable scene. Yeah. But they have a more memorable scene after this. And when you want to be dramatic and, and have a big dramatic moment, you go and sit on a billboard or a rooftop. You don't just, have this kind of conversation in the bedroom yeah yeah no it's shit. well it's like how did they get access to that billboard like i guess his apartment you can walk out on the ledge and walk out there to it but that's seems like a really cool apartment if that's the case yep so after sex she is out there on this rooftop or billboard crying wrapped up in a blanket 
Clarence goes out and asks her what's wrong, and she reveals that she is actually a call girl, and she was hired by Clarence's boss to sleep with him. Yeah, and she's only been a call girl for he's he's her third customer. She says, and then she reveals an even bigger truth that uh, she is actually in love with him, as she says she feels silly for saying, but she loves him, and that's that, that's the big reveal out there that happens. Yep. Well, before she says that she loves him, she's screaming at him, saying how she there's a difference between a prostitute and a call girl. Is there? What What's the difference? Uh, not much of one that I can see. No, I, I don't see it either. And she's yeah. screaming at the top of her lungs. And it's a pretty dramatic scene before she admits that she loves him. But Hans yeah. is there to, to play the theme and let us know that it's actually... She's not upset. It's quirky. It's okay. Yeah. Well, and then, but then he also, when she tells him that, it's it's like that important moment for a guy where it's like, oh shit, do I say I love you back? And he says, all right, now wait a second, hold on. You're telling me this, and then if I say I love you and throw caution to the wind, let the chips fall where they may, and I and you leave me or fuck me over, I'm gonna die. And it's like he kind of opens up his vulnerable side to her and. Yep. He, that, he takes the chance and he, he commits to her there on in this moment. Yeah, because they, they did really have a great night together, I guess, and it, it's cemented right there. Yep. And it's fully cemented in the next scene because they go to a courthouse the next day and get married in a like a flash ceremony. I think they just get the, the paperwork or whatever and they're married then. Yeah, yeah. So now they're at a tattoo parlor. I didn't check out the tattoos they were getting. Is it one another's names is that what they're doing yeah he's got out he gets alabama and she gets clarence but the thing that sticks out in this scene is the awesome music i'm a pretty big like low-key fan of billy idol white wedding i love this song yeah Yeah, it's a good one but yeah white wedding is playing and uh alabama needs now to explain herself more fully to clarence particularly the details of her pimp drexel yeah who and what is a drexel and we find out what a Drexel is next scene because it's his introductory scene. He's in this house making some kind of drug deal with these other guys. And apparently out of nowhere, he and one of the other men betray the other two and kill and murder them, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of the other two is Samuel Jackson. That's his cameo. He just gets a short little couple lines in there and then he gets blown away by a pump shotgun. As does so, the other guy, and they make off with a suitcase full of cocaine. Yeah, so Gary Oldman as Drexel here shows his vicious side murdering these gangsters, and, and that's our introduction to Drexel as well. Yeah. So we get another introduction in the next scene, and this is a very important character to the plot, and that is the character of Elvis, Clarence's mm-hmm. imaginary mentor. And it's Really funny because we forgot to mention that Val Kilmer plays Elvis, who's another, you know, huge star at the time. And he's blurry throughout the entire thing. Like, you never see his face. You never see see him. But he does a great job at the voice. His voice is spot on. And he's sitting there and he's saying, he's basically convincing Clarence that he needs to kill Drexel. Yeah, he tells Clarence, how can you let him walk around? Or how can you walk around knowing he still draws breath? After what he did to Alabama, you know, making her into a whore or a prostitute. So yeah. he's getting this pep talk from Elvis, which we already know he idolizes Elvis. So he's going to do yeah. what, what Elvis says. 
he's like, that's what you'd do? He's like, yeah. Yeah, you think a cop gives a fuck about a pimp? He's like, so you'd, be doing them a, you'd be doing them a favor. Clarence should probably be heavily medicated, right? <laughs> if he's actually seeing Elvis, yeah. He's got some issues. Yeah, very impulsive and strange, and now he's seeing people hallucinating, so yeah, he probably should. Elvis does tell Clarence he needs to go kill Drexel, and so under the pretense of gathering Alabama's things, Clarence finds out where Drexel is and goes to confront him. And as he's driving over there, this is a very serious scene. He's going to confront his lover's former pimp. His life is on the line, and we get Hans Zimmer playing on the way over there. (laughs) (laughs) My life is on the line. I might die tonight. It's a beautiful juxtaposition. And it's like a snowy, grimy area of Detroit. It's obviously like a red light district. I only say that because there's literally a red light in the door. Yeah. Well, the the music is totally out of place here, I think. But thankfully, it gives way to a much more effective music in the club. When they go in, I'm not like a techno fan at all, but the techno that music that they use in this scene with Drexel is awesome. It's just as memorable as the scene itself. It, yeah. D- you can it hear feed- it when you see it, you know? It, it feeds it for sure. I agree. And so now we have the big showdown. Between oh, and Drexel this, and Clarence. And this is really the first of, of the tests because there's a, a underlying theme throughout this whole movie of who's the coolest, who's real, and who's bullshit. And this is like a test between the two of who's, who's, who's bluffing and who's telling the truth. And Drexel, for his part, is very wise as a gangster. He kind of reads Clarence and reads his whole situation within minutes of him arriving. And I love the yeah. way that he's slowly pushing that ceiling fan toward him in a menacing and threatening yet playful way the whole time. Yeah. I, I love the way he's working that fan, tossing it to Clarence. But he basically tells Clarence that he knows he's here to not really to do business, but to kind of hurt him. And that, that Clarence has already shown all his cars by coming in there acting all hostile, like not even noticing the pair of titties that was on the TV. Yeah. And it's it's great because he really does read him pretty well, but yeah, Clarence he's dead Clarence, on. yeah, but Clarence is this is his test, and he kind of fires back and says, "I'm not here to negotiate because this is a negotiation. Uh, I'm I don't it's not, I don't want to do whatever because I just don't like you. And I saw this movie seven years ago. It's and he names the movie and who's starring in it. So he kind of fires back and and uh, Drexel's kind of like, "Ooh, all right." You know what we got here? We got ourselves a motherfucking Charlie Bronson. So it's like another cool person, a, a cool actor from the, from an era or something. Oh, I thought he said another Charlie Brown. Charlie Bronson, like Charles yeah. Bronson. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Brown is not cool. I thought he was saying that Clarence was not cool. He's like a Charlie Brown. No, no, because Charles Bronson was like a action hero from like the 70s, you know, and did like, you know, shoot him up movie where he was like the the detective where he runs in and saves people and stuff so he's calling him like a wild, a wild card sort of well I, I did like the way that clarence fights back by citing the movie because they portray him somewhat as a nerd or a nerdy character and even in the movie description it says playful nerd clarence yeah. or whatever nerd clarence and so he yeah. is able to cite this movie saying well yeah i noticed the movie man i just i didn't give a shit about the movie and i'm not here to negotiate with you he does yeah. try to buy off 
Drexel? He gives him an wow. envelope full of cash? It's an insult. It's a slap in the face. What is? The envelope. The amount of money that was in it? Well, yeah, there's no money in it. Oh, was there not? I didn't notice. I just saw him hand him the envelope. There was nothing yeah. in it. He's like, here's your payoff. Alabama's moving to some greener pastures. And what what's in that envelope is what you pay for my peace of mind. It's worth exactly that and that exactly that much. And he slices the envelope open and then turns it inside out. There's nothing in it. And he's like, empty. Oh, I was writing down. He tries to pay off Drexel, I guess, whenever uh, he turned no, the envelope it, yeah. upside down. So, but no. Okay. He does not attempt to pay off Drexel. Total badass yeah, it, move by Clarence. Well, it's a ballsy move for sure. It's not a, it's not good if you actually do want to get in there without negotiating, but he's obviously there to start some shit. Yep, and he does. But somehow Drexel still catches him off guard, despite the fact that Clarence seemingly came here ready for a showdown. Drexel throws something like a his ice. tray of food. His yeah. he has a food he's eating food. Okay, so he throws some food at him, gets him off guard, and then he gets on top of him and just fantastically beats his ass he's doing the cobra like the downward swing with the two hands and punching him with both sides it's awesome yeah well his bodyguard gets him from the back so he's holding clarence down while he's the bodyguard's on his back underneath clarence and he's on top of clarence like punching down at him but clarence somehow manages to like get his mouth like fish hook him or something like that in his mouth and like kind of throw him off and slams his head backwards into the bodyguard and breaks the guy's nose and so what turns into sh- should be a one-sided ass whooping turns into all of a sudden now a dangerous situation because he's actually fighting back pretty well. Well, he, he does for a while, but after a bit, Drexel clearly gets the upper hand, beats him down to a pulp, starts dragging him by his collar, but then he sends his bodyguard to go gather Alabama's things, and he has found the address of Alabama now with Clarence's wallet, so... Clarence going in there like a big shot seemingly is going to get his girlfriend re-kidnapped by her pimp, but he is able to pull out a sidearm from his, like his boot or something. Was that where he got the gun? So yeah, he, well, yeah, he's got his, I think it's in his boot. And while, uh, while old Miss Carrick, while, um, what's his Drexel, name? while Drexel's on top of him, he's like, I'm going to keep lover boy here in a teen. You go and get that bitch and bring her back. And so he's like, sends his bodyguard out to go get him. And then all of a sudden he gets like distracted. So, and when he turns around, Clarence pulls the snub Magnum out of his shoe and, and is like, Oh shit. And he shoots him like right in the dick or something like that. Yeah. He shoots him him in the dick. And then he tells the guy to bring him Alabama's things. And then he shoots and kills Drexel leaving with the, the briefcase or the duffel bag full of what we are supposed to think are Alabama's things. Yeah, and that's the real turning point for Clarence because that's what, what I like to call a tower moment where all of a sudden Clarence's tower comes crashing down and it changes his entire character into the fully realized adult cool Clarence where he's just like an absolute alpha male now. Yep, and the worst part about this scene is now that Drexel's dead, there's no more Drexel for the rest of the yeah. movie. And he was he was really good. We've gushed about him a bit, but man, he was awesome. Yeah, it's great. It's 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 perfect the amount that he is in it though. So Alabama starts crying here, and Clarence thinks that she's crying for Drexel, but instead she reveals that she's crying tears of joy because Clarence killing Drexel was the most 
romantic thing she's ever seen in her life. Yeah, which is a strange. We didn't think we think that she's like crying because something happened, but then she just embraces him and goes, "That was the most romantic thing ever." Yeah, it's a Mickey and Mallory vibe all over again. Oh, for sure. They've killed now, and they're about to go on the road on the run a little bit. Just two absolute psycho lovers again. Yep. And the things that he gathered from the club, which he thought were her possessions, they open it up, and it turns out to actually be all the coke, the cocaine, that Drexel had stolen from the original drug deal that we saw in his scene. (laughs) And I love it because... He, she opens the bag and it's just a bunch of coke and she goes, uh, these are not my things. <laughs> so now they have to run. When you've got someone else's coke and it, it looks like it's worth you know, half a million dollars or more, you've got to get out of town because people are going to be looking for you. Yeah. So they're on the run and the first place they decide to go to is the home of Clarence's father. He's a retired police officer is that right uh yeah yeah he's like a security he's a security guard now okay i was wondering why he was in uniform so he's in a security guard uniform now he used to be on the police force yeah okay so clarence asked this this man he was played by dennis hopper he asked his dad for advice for some money and particularly he needs the police resources that his father still has to find out if the cops are on to him for killing Drexel. Yeah, well, you know, I don't think he asked for money. He just wants he wants information. He wants to find out if they know anything about the murder or if there's any leads. Yeah, and at first the dad doesn't really want to help him because I guess they are estranged somewhat. He says he hasn't seen him in years. But eventually his dad does decide to help him. And once he gets back to him with some information from his police friends, they find out that the cops are not on to Clarence at all. In fact, they're somewhat happy that he killed Drexel, but the mafia whose coke was stolen is on to Clarence. Yeah, yeah, and then that's <clears throat> that's one of the... I mean, I guess they do steal quite a bit of cocaine, so they steal a lot of money. It's, essentially, we find out it's about $500,000 worth of cocaine. So I guess that would warrant a visit, by a pretty important mobster, but I was kind of wondering, like, would they send this high ranking up of a guy to go do this? I enjoyed the fact that they didn't show the Don at all. They mentioned him. His name's Blue Lou something, but they never show this guy. So I always assumed that these are kind of underlings, everyone else that's that's chasing after this Coke and after Clarence. Well, they call call him uh, Don... uh, Vincenzo. Vincenzo. Yeah, so... He's a Don, apparently. Or he, he says he works for Blue Lou as a concierge, I guess. Yeah, so how could he be that Don as well? I don't know. Maybe, maybe Blue Lou thought it was such an important amount, of, such a big amount of money that he needs to send uh, somebody with some brains. Well, that's a little bit up ahead before yeah. he sends the guy in, though. Yeah, yeah. For, for now, we have an argument between Clarence and his father because Clarence is like, Jesus, man, you weren't there for me when I was a kid. I really needed you, and, and now all I'm doing is asking for a little bit of help. And the father, of course, screams back at him. It's a very tense, emotional argument. And the Hans Zimmer, Zimmer theme creeps in yet again, totally out of place, <laughs> yet again for this argument. 
Never out of place. It was always working to feed the film. I don't know what you're talking about. It, totally out of place here. But <laughs> you were never there for me, Dad. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the dad does agree to help him, and so they they do have the aid of their father. Now we get an introduction to a friend of Clarence's named Dick who has the, an acting audition here in this short scene. What is the purpose of this scene? I guess to introduce us to Dick. I mean, we get, we get a, he gets called into the audition room and he says maybe about two or three lines. And it's, you know, it, it's pretty indicative of like a large scale audition where you just walk in. And if you don't like say something right in the first few lines, they're like, okay, thank you. Uh, next. And like it's, so he says something he says, and he's obviously not very good. And the woman goes, thank you very much, Dick. You're, you're a fine actor. We'll get a hold of you. That's what like, I thought is that he was, and, meant, it was meant to be, that he was being, being dismissed and that he was bad. But yeah. Then he yeah, gets the job totally. later, doesn't he? Well, that has to do with his connections later. Like his connections get him the job, but yeah. So he, she, they have, she has no intention of hiring him or he, she thinks he's not very good, but he's such a dummy that he's like, Oh yeah, really? Thank you. She's like, you're a very fine actor. Thank you. And all he said was like two lines and they were like the worst delivered lines ever. And yeah, so it's meant to be like, this guy's not a good actor or whatever, but he gets dismissed from that audition and he thinks he did a good job. Okay. Well, I didn't really see the point of having Dick in the movie at all. Honestly, I, I didn't know that his character was necessary to the plot and this well, scene the... was no different. He's the L.A. connection, man. He's the, he's the one that's, that has to hook. Otherwise, you know, Clarence is just going out there winging it on his own. Yeah. Well, I mean, he ends up being the connection to a connection to ultimately yeah. the guy he's going to sell. Well, we'll oh, yeah, we'll get to that. But, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I, so I wasn't his, as into his whole, Rappaport. Yeah, yeah. His character is not huge or whatever, but his, he's the whole connection to the L.A. world where now – uh, Clarence has, is going to be bringing his cocaine to try to sell. Right. Well, before we meet Michael Rappaport or uh, Dick, before we meet Dick in person with, with Clarence in Alabama, we have to say goodbye now to the father of Clarence. And the pair meet with him one last time. They say their goodbyes as they're on their way out to L.A. They give him a hug. And I was really moved by this scene. I thought this was very touching the way that the father embraces his new daughter-in-law, Alabama, he, I'm not kidding. <laughs> he, you. I, he, he full scale met... makes, he full scale makes out with her. I thought it was kind of creepy. No, not the make out part, but the way that he embraces her, he'd never met her before, but because his son loves her, then he loves her. And they yeah. convey that very quickly. And she calls him daddy. She does kiss him. Yeah. On the lips. And that was a little inappropriate, but yeah. And, 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 uh, Clarence jumps up and goes, Hey, 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 hey. And then he goes, son of a bitch. She does taste like a peach. Cause earlier he said she tastes, she even tastes like a peach. But I, I thought the acting part of that was very genuine. I, I bought the fact that he loved this girl instantly for loving his son. You know, I, yeah. I enjoyed that. Yeah. It, it was, it's a good scene. I like it. And Hans is in this scene yet again. By the way, of course, Hans, of course he is. Hans never leaves us. Yep. You are gonna, you are gonna like this song by the end of this movie, or, or else, or die trying, or, or die trying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
the pair of them, Clarence and Alabama, they go to a phone booth. They call Dick. They tell him that they're on their way. And then they have some wild desert sex in the phone booth afterwards. Oh, yeah, that's hot. Yeah. And why is why is ripping panties off such a hot thing? I guess it just shows that you you can't even wait long enough to properly remove them. Like, you've got to rip them. Yeah, it's just like uh, in lots of movies, it's like in the heat of passion, it's like rip the panties off. Don't even – it's just as easy to take them down, probably easier, but, you know. Well, and the up against the wall thing that they always do in movies, that, again, is another thing. Like, you have to be people of a certain size, for one thing, and you're uh, it doesn't seem as convenient as other ways to quickly – start intercourse you know but it's yeah. it's a trope in movies and tv shows for sure well it works it works so after this phone call the dad now i never did get this guy's name what, what was clarence's dad's name oh yeah that's a good question clifford Worley. clifford all right so clifford officer clifford a retired officer clifford goes home to his rundown trailer on this dock it looks like he's living i guess oh, they yeah, don't he... pay him very much no, he looks like he's living in the absolute slums, like a trailer in the middle of like an, an industrial district. So he gets ambushed by Christopher Walken's character, which is Don Cosetti, Vincenzo uh, Cosetti, Cocotti. Vincenzo Cocotti, yeah. Cocotti, all right. And this scene is also where they first show HBO gangster legends Jim Gandolfini and Ben Victor which play the, the Greek and, of course, Tony Soprano. In this, they play Luca and Virgil. Yeah. So this scene is long. It's iconic. It's very well acted. It's mostly well written. But yeah. it really emphasizes a racist <laughs> concept that I'm not comfortable repeating. Yeah, no, and we've agreed that we're not going to repeat it because... <clears throat> This scene is, while it is a great scene and one of the most remembered scenes of this movie, it is, they say the N-word so many times throughout it, and it's so, like, racially charged and, like, racial undertone that it is a bit cringy to watch. Oh, yeah. It's not (laughs) just that they say the N-word, but they're also conveying the idea that being African-American is one of the worst possible things with with the context of what he's saying. So it's very insulting. And it's it it's meant to be insulting. He's meant to insult him with that, and the the Sicilians are meant to take it as an insult. But that's the problem with it. It's like why are, why are we using this as an insult? But you know, it was it was a different time, and uh, you know, people probably talked to. Well, I know people talked like this behind closed doors all the time. So it's not that the dialogue is inaccurate. You got a racist Irish guy and a racist Italian guy. I mean, it's two of the most racially insensitive you know cultures of people in general but they really uh they it really goes too far (laughs) yeah it goes too far and you know what it reminds me of is the scene in boondock saints when rocco was telling that joke and it's it's a drawn out scene it's long and it's kind of funny but then you don't want to tell any of your friends about this funny scene you saw because it's also very offensive and so yeah yeah that's kind of how this one goes but the gist of it is that the mafia wants to know where Clarence is. And since he's Clarence's father, they know that he knows. But the father, uh, what'd you say? Clifford. Clifford. Clifford, yeah. The father, Clifford, defies their, their beatings and, and their intimidation attempts. He insults them. 
despite knowing that this insult will lead to his immediate yeah. demise. And we got uh, we have another scene here that's a game of cat and mouse. So one character is bullshitting and one character is telling the truth. And the scene is again about who's who can play it the coolest, who can be the the alpha of the scene and the top dog. And Vincent Cacati or uh, Vincenzo Cacati is absolutely menacing and we know he's going to kill this guy probably. And Dennis Hopper's character is pretty nervous at first and he tries to lie to him and he tries to throw him off. But, he, but Christopher Walken's character says something in effect. He's like, I'm Sicilian. Sicilians are the champions of liars. So what we got here is, is you're a show game, a show and tell you tell me everything, but you don't want to show me nothing. And so he punches him in the face first and starts with that and breaks his nose. And then they cut his hand and pour some like liquid on it that obviously burns and they give him a rag to like wipe it up with. And he's like telling him, he's like, now we know, you know where Clarence is. Why don't you come clean and tell, tell me what you know before we do some damage that you won't walk away from. And at that point, Christopher Walker or Dennis Hopper's character knows he's fucked. And so he says, I'll take that Chesterfield. They offered him a cigarette earlier. And he's like, I'll take that Chesterfield now. And so he starts this story about how the Moors uh, from Africa conquered Italy and Sicily. And so now he's telling him this historical, which is a historically true story. And he's t- he says that the Moors did so much fucking in Italy that they changed the bloodline forever. And it's meant to be this great insult, but he tells the story to him and Christopher Walken can't really even believe what he's hearing, but it's so ballsy that he can't help but like laugh and sort of almost respect this guy a little bit. But we soon find out that he's also extremely angry about it. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he, Dennis Hopper's character was trying to lure uh, the, the Dawn into killing him more quickly because he just yeah. gets shot in the face after he tells this, this joke or this this history lesson and yeah. it you know it's way better than the torture that he probably was going to continue to get so whatever he was trying to do he knows he was going to get shot and he did get shot yeah the so it, it it ends with with you know he's telling him the story and he says now if you if you're really sicilian tell me am i lying <laughs> and so so Christopher Walken's character is like laughing, like this guy. Oh my god, this guy! You, you're too much. And he gives him like a, a kiss on the che- each side of the cheek, and then he goes back to one of those gangsters. He's like, "Wait, just a minute, hold on here." And he grabs a gun and just turns around and blows his head off. <laughs> and he says something like, "I haven't killed anybody since 1984." <laughs> yeah, he, he hasn't killed anyone for years, but he does kill Clarence's father after this insult yeah, because it's such an insulting thing. And he's like. Now go find me something so I can wipe this egg off my face. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So that that's a pretty great scene. It, you know, it's not a perfect scene, obviously, but it's it's a really good one. It's a memorable scene for sure. It's all for naught because immediately after he kills them, they find Clarence's uh, or Dick's address on the refrigerator. <laughs> it's like, yeah. But now we know that the gangsters know where uh, Clarence is headed. Yep. And so here I kind of noticed a shift in the movie a, a little bit, of a shift in the tone of the movie. It, this is almost distinctly the halfway point. And they they play this music. It's Aerosmith, uh, The Other Side is the name of the song. 
I love this song. Aerosmith's kind of a, a band I don't love, but they've got some hits that really, really hit me, you know? And this is one of them. What do you I'm think about Aerosmith? I'm not a big Aerosmith fan, really. I like, uh, like, Sweet Emotion and some of their earlier 70s stuff, I guess. You didn't like this one? Uh, I'm not even familiar with which song you're talking about. Take me to the other side. Take me to the other. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Oh man, you're pissing me off right now because this is the best musical moment in the in the movie. Oh. And you're like, oh, I don't even know what song. I I just want to talk about Hans Zimmer and well, African <laughs> Safari. It's not even mentioned on the soundtrack here on the uh, Wikipedia page. So no, it's not on the soundtrack. I'm not the only one that missed it. Uh. <laughs> Damn you. They play it for like three minutes. You've watched I mean, this I, movie a hundred times. Yeah, but I don't know. I didn't know it was Aerosmith. I, you know, yeah, I know what song you're talking about now that you're saying it, but yeah, it's it's whatever. It doesn't it doesn't move me. All right. Well, it moves me, man. I love this one. It's a great it's a great <laughs> it's a great musical moment. Damn it. Okay, so sure. Whatever. All right. I mean, to me, they could have played, you know what would have been perfect in this part? What? Yeah, that's what you really wanted, I bet. Don't worry, you'll you'll get more. It's coming more. If they'd have played the theme song there, I'd have been moved. They it's a pretty prolonged scene with this Aerosmith song, but I liked it. They're riding down a freeway, the wind's blowing in their hair, and I know you've never admitted it, but you're a huge fan of road movies, and you're. You like you like traveling on the road, like you're a road guy, road sure, trip yeah. guy. I, I do like road trips, yeah. So it's probably hits you a little bit, you know. It's like ah, oh, man, wind it in does. Your hair. I mean, they're driving into L.A. The top down on the car, you know. Yeah, I like I like it. Uh, it it it's it excites me. It gets right. me excited. Like if I was driving into L.A. with the top down, I'd be I'd be jamming to some Aerosmith, I guess. Hell yeah, me too. But you know who's not excited is the character we're gonna meet now. And that is Floyd. <laughs> Floyd never gets too excited. He doesn't give a shit about anything. He doesn't even get up off the couch. And here, the door, they're just banging on the door. And he's like maybe two feet away from it. And <laughs> laying on, He's just laying on the couch, stoned, watching TV. And Dick comes running in. He says, Floyd, answer the door. He's like, what? I couldn't even oh, hear it, man. I didn't, I didn't even hear it. <laughs> he's right next to it. <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny from Floyd. But on the other side of the door is Alabama and Clarence. They've arrived in L.A. now at Dick's house. Yeah, and it's it's it, the funny thing that sticks out to me is how like in shape Brad Pitt is. <laughs> like, like he looks like a guy that works out all the time. Like his arms are all jacked up and stuff. But he's cast as this stoner that's just on the couch and not doing anything, doesn't have a job, doesn't do anything. I'm like physically, he doesn't really match the role at all. But the way he looks, like in his face and his hair and all that matches it perfectly, but they yeah. should have given him like a baggy sweater to hide how, how jacked he was. Yeah, I don't trust potheads that are super buff. You know, there's there's something about that, that that's off-putting. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, wait a second. Weed yeah. makes you makes you work out? Hold on. Yeah, the, something doesn't add up here. Yeah. But the uh, the pair of them, they gather up Dick. They drive off somewhere. I'm not really sure where they go, but it's another car scene. They, they talk a little bit. It's kind of a bond between Dick, Clarence, and Alabama. And then 
they show Dick the Coke and they ask for his help selling it to some of his Hollywood friends. And the big, the biggest issue that they have is they have too much cocaine <clears throat> and it would be a serious problem. Like if you were in this situation, finding someone that would want to spend $250,000 on Coke on Coke would be a hard task actually. And if, for the reasons that they lay out, because he says, you know how hard it is to find someone to buy this much Coke. He's like, yeah, but what about actors? They've got brought all the set. He's like, yeah, they do. And he's like, maybe one day when I'm that big of an actor, I will have that happen. But until then, I don't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out. I just have Floyd. And he says, the most important thing is people that there are people that can afford this amount of Coke are people you don't know. And most importantly, they don't know you. So like if somebody walked up to you and said, hey, I got a great deal on $250,000 worth of Coke. It's actually $500,000 worth of Coke. I'm selling for $250,000, you would immediately be suspect <clears throat> and probably be like, no, uh, that's a little sketchy. I'm good. But Dick does agree to introduce them to one person that he thinks might be able to help. And that is a man named Elliot Spitzer. Was that his name? Spitzer? Blitzer. 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 Yeah. And Elliot Blitzer is the assistant to big time movie producer Lee Donowitz, who could afford and could use $250,000 of Coke being as what uh, being is, it is. That's what you have. He says to Clarence. So they have this meeting with Elliot at a theme park. And I thought this was a very interesting choice because most of the time when you're doing these drug deals, it's like in a restaurant or a shady alley, something like that. But instead they chose a, not only a theme park, but an actual roller coaster ride. Why do you think this was the choice they went with for this? Uh, because I think it matches the characters of Clarence and um, Alabama a little bit. They're sort of wild, have fun, fly by the seat of your pants sort of thing. Almost like kids in a way. Uh, yeah, I don't, I, that could be my only guess. And they're, you know, it's, it's a good place to meet for something like this because it's, you know, it's not a seedy area like you're trying to get to know somebody and get them to trust you. And what better place to do that than a, uh, you know, uh, roller coaster park at an amusement park. Oh, it seems kind of like a good idea, except for the fact that Elliot gets sick after the roller coaster ride. So he doesn't really have the stomach for it. Yeah. It's a bad idea for why did Elliot get on the roller coaster if he couldn't deal with them like that? That's all. Yeah. He didn't handle it well, but he does agree to call Lee. And so they, they call Lee Donowitz, and that is where we'll get an introduction to the man that may buy Clarence's Coke. Yes. So now we get an introduction to Lee, who in this scene is talking on the phone smoking driving his convertible very fast down the wind uh, with the with the top down and i was thinking in this watch i don't think you could have a cell phone conversation in a convertible with the top down driving that fast i don't think yeah. anyone could hear you unless cell phones in that day and age had louder speakers but that would be tough to hear any because i i had a convertible for a while and i don't think it, i think it's pretty hard to talk while you're driving down the road with the wind whipping like that but the important part of the scene is that Donowitz agrees now to meet with Clarence, Elliot, and Alabama. And if he likes them, 
they'll buy their coke. Well, and they have a very clever little conversation where Clarence says, he says, I want to open Dr. Shivago with you. He's like, wow, Dr. Shivago is a pretty big production. They're using coded language. It's a pretty big production. I, I'm not really uh, into distribution. I'm more of a, uh, I produce movies and uh, small movies and get what I want accomplished. And that's enough for me. And he's like, yeah, but this is, this, we're talking about Dr. Zhivago. You're going to be packing them in for two years, at least that's two years. You're not going to have to deal with anybody else. And so he's, he's pitching him on this idea of like, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for a great, a great deal. Yeah, Clarence is, is working the tongue pretty yeah. well to, to get uh, Lee on board with this drug deal. And that's one thing that's a that's kind of thematic is Clarence is Clarence is always after that first scene he's always he's on it he's he's Mister on top of it and like cool and gets stuff done and knows what to say. For the most part, he he's kind of absent for one crucial part coming up here, but yeah, for the most part, he is on Johnny on the spot. Yeah. So now we have a funny scene where Floyd is on the couch and Virgil, played by. James Gandolfini knocks on the door because they know the address of Dick's house. He asks about Alabama and Floyd reveals the details of the hotel that they're staying at to Virgil. Yeah. And he's, it's like, he doesn't even knock on the door. He just opens the door and he's behind the screen and and Floyd's like, Oh, hello. He's like, do you, you live here? He's like, you live here with, uh, with Dick. He's like, yeah, we're roommates. He's, and he gives him like all the information. <laughs> like, yeah, you want to sit down and smoke a bowl? They might be back. <laughs> yeah, a couple of my favorite lines are from this scene, so I'll skip them. And again, it's a micro scene of like who's real and who's bullshit. And even at the end, the, the line that you're probably referring to at the end is really funny because Floyd thinks he's a badass now too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I like that a lot. Yeah. So Virgil, now with this information, goes to the hotel, and he's going to wait there for Alabama and Clarence to come home. And while he's waiting there, one of my favorite songs by the Shirelles is playing in the background, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow. It's a, it's either a cover of a Carole King song or Carole King covered their song. I don't know which came first, but the Shirelles version is way better. And it's another awesome musical moment because – it's a good question for Alabama to ask because she's about to take the beating of her life. And this is a pretty, pretty gruesome scene, but also really good too. Yeah. An incredible scene here, I think. Yeah. So Virgil is waiting there. Clarence drops Alabama off and he says he's going to go get them some food. So when she goes upstairs, Virgil's sitting there with a gun in his lap waiting for them. They have a, a little bit of a verbal standoff where she's denying who she really is because she knows why he's there. But Virgil sees right through it. And he eventually, after complimenting her looks and talking sweet to her, he, he knocks her out and then he just beats the shit out of her for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's well, and the thing is like, it starts with the scene, like she's trying to bullshit him, but he knows exactly what's going on. He's like, kind of playing a cool and he does <laughs> the face he makes after he punches her <laughs> like, so he like tells her to stand up he's like he's like you are unbelievably cute stand up he's like do me a favor T- 
turn around and she starts to turn one way and he's like no 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 turn the other way and as soon as she gets a cross full of her turn he throws a right cross and like knocks her out and does this like i look <laughs> shimmy thing with his head he's like <laughs> and it just cracks me up for some reason like the face that he makes right there but the fun yeah. the thing that i notice is he has her turn the other way because that's the way he's going to be punching her and having her turn the opposite way wouldn't work as well it's a pretty clever little plot by him but also just kind of like shows you the sickness of this guy yeah and i mentioned in the cast reading how you could see glimpses of tony soprano and it's this scene that he does it it's just the little movements the subtle movements in his mouth his face the way he delivers his lines his eyes especially it's just awesome as a huge sopranos fan i watched this scene a couple times i was like man this is just great i love seeing this yeah so interspersed with the beating, because this is a, it's a long scene. They, it goes on for 10 or so minutes. Clarence, we see what he's doing while she's getting her ass kicked. He's screwing around ordering the food at this like hot dog stand or hamburger stand. He's talking to every stranger he meets on the street. He's chatting about comics to a total stranger. Uh, Elvis. Uh, yeah, he talks to, he talks, well, he goes to order his burgers. And he's like, what's the biggest, greasiest burger you got? Yeah, I'll take two of those. And, Yada, yada, yada. And then he goes this around the side and talks to this guy who's reading a Time magazine with Elvis on the cover, or Newsweek maybe. And he's like, just walks right up and approaches that guy and starts talking to him. And pretty quickly, the guy is like, the guy's very closed off at first. And then he's like, oh, yeah, I see what you mean there. And he gets like engaged in the conversation with him. And I think it's just kind of meant to show you the, the charisma of, uh, of his character now. Like, and, and he's just kind of like, walking around fully confident doing whatever he wants like saying whatever he wants the way they shot the film i took it to mean that while he was out enjoying life and kind of not really dicking around but while he was just having a pretty good day his partner is back home getting the beating of yeah. her life <laughs> so it's kind of like where are you right now you know it, it's a I'm not sure. It's not like it was his fault that he wasn't there. He could have known, but no. But it's a it's a definite contrast between what's going on with her and what's going on with him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And she's she's back there. She's bloody. She's getting these punches right in the mouth and nose and face as hard as he can throw them. Because we see, as Tony Soprano, he does a lot of violence towards women at times and very intimidating and brutal. And he doesn't hold anything back in these scenes. He's tossing her all around the room the big thing that in this coming scene is when he, for me the most revealing part is where he's sitting there describing how he kills like as the first time he killed somebody he's like you know he's like the first time you kill somebody that's the hardest part i don't care if you jack the ripper or whoever and it's like these these moments of dialogue are really where where quentin tarantino kind of shines because it's always written like a person would actually talk so it's it's always it's but it's sort of poetic. So it's like poetic, like street poetry almost, if you will. It's just like the guy's talking like he would and, and it's not very formal and it's not very eloquent, but it's expressing something really deep. And he's like, the first time you kill, that's the bitch of the bunch. And then the second time, that was no easy one either. But the third time, that's when it all clicked and it's all like, he's like, shit, now I just kill them to watch their expressions change. So you get this, and the, and the looks on his face, like you can see he's kind of got almost some inner turmoil going on while he's saying this. They're going for something with with his character. I don't think they had enough time to fully develop 
but they're trying to give him some kind of backstory, and we'll we'll get to that a little bit later on. Well, I think that's what it does. It gives it gives in this small amount of time, it gives his character a lot of backstory. We learn a lot about him in just a few lines, really. And yeah, especially that part that you mentioned. That was his his best monologue or, or many yeah. many little scene there. So then he then he realizes the coke is under the bed, and he goes, "Oh my god, did you put the coke under the bed?" And she's like, "Yeah." <laughs> He's like, "I can't believe you put it on the bed, and I didn't check under the bed." So, so now he has the coke and he's going to finish her off. Yeah, while he's looking for the coke though, she grabs up a like a Swiss army knife that was on her keychain. Yeah, the, she, wine, the wine bottle opener on it. Yeah, she gets Cor- the corkscrew. The corkscrews on the Swiss army knife. He sees her trying to fight back and he says, "Oh, come on. Take your best shot. What are you going to do?" Screw. Stick it in daddy. Stick it in daddy. When he stabs him, she stabs him in the foot and then she grabs this vase and breaks it over his head so it seems like she might have a chance but he doesn't even go down from this vase blow and he says oh now no more no more games or no more mr nice guy and she says i love the way she says this line like she just gave it her best shot and then he's he's unfazed and she says oh god like because she knows the beating's (laughs) about to get you know 10 times worse now now that she's pissed him off yeah and he's like throwing her through a glass like in the shower uh yeah what was his intention why did he turn on the water in the shower and throw her in what's he gonna do in the shower with her i i think he's just like throwing her through shit and wrecking wrecking her like just trying to beat her ass but it's hilarious because she's like wait 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 and he actually waits and she goes you look ridiculous yeah what's with that (laughs) that's what i was gonna ask you about what were they trying to because was She's his character just, very vain or something, and he cared that what she thought he looked like? Maybe. I don't know. But she's just a complete badass, and she's, like, flipping him off the whole time and telling him to fuck you or whatever. But she's taking this beating and not giving up an inch of, like, not giving up any information of where Clarence is and all that. And it's also she distracts him by doing that. So then he comes back to get her, and she's grabbed some shampoo and, like, slings it in his eyes, and that, like, gets him and starts stinging. And then she takes the back of the toilet and Hits him over the back of the head, and that really gets a good shot on him. I didn't understand why that worked. Like, why did her saying, you look ridiculous, distract him enough to to give her that opportunity? That's what I I mean when they didn't develop his backstory. Like, maybe if he was especially vain and couldn't bear the idea of looking ridiculous, but he's like, oh, I need to stop killing you real quick and look in the mirror and see what I look like. And that's the opportunity she needs to now get the upper yeah, hand on I, I i think it's just a distraction i mean i don't know if it's meant to be anything more than that but well it works it, perfectly she does beat him with the toilet lid put the shampoo in his eyes she burns his face off with some hair oh spray yeah and a lighter that's that's the real kill blow like she she has the presence of mind to pick up the hairspray and turn the lighter on he pulls the gun out to shoot her and then she just sprays him with hairspray fire in the face and sets him on fire like a human jack-o'-lantern the gun goes off, and she realizes, "Oh, the gun's there." Yeah, so then, she yeah. she kills she kills him finally with uh, his own shotgun. Oh yeah, and it's absolutely brutal too because she's on top of him, and she's got like bloody, sweaty boobs, and like they're shaking all around. She's firing the gun point blank into him, and then the gun runs out of bullets, and she just takes it like a club and just starts pounding it into his face, <laughs> like like just screaming and holding the gun up and shaking it like some rabid wild animal. Really cool scene. Yeah, and and uh, somewhat erotic. Is it for you erotic? <laughs> I guess. Uh, I mean, I think just like the way her boobs are shaking when she's firing the gun, and 
and they're all sexy and the way she screams. So now that she's killed, <laughs> now that she's killed her antagonist, yeah. that's yeah. a. I just want to one last shout out for for Big Jim Gandolfini in that scene. It's a hard to yeah. watch scene. It's so brutal and uh, I guess yeah, brutal is the word I'm looking. Sadistic yeah, on his brutal. part, and then she's brutal in her retaliation. <laughs> But the acting is so great from both of them that it's one of the better scenes in the movie. Well, and this is like a thematic thing that we've gone through with Tarantino's work is that the violence and the sex kind of mix at times. Like there's points in this scene where he says she's beautiful and he's like, you got a lot of heart, kid. And I'm going to let you take one shot. Stick it in daddy. Stick it in daddy. And there's like something sexual going on with the way he wants to play with her before he kills her or almost like. So then that's thematic. I mean, we saw that in, in Natural Born Killers, which he also wrote the script for. So it's a thematic theme with him, I think. I would agree with that. But after she kills him, Clarence shows up finally, seemingly seconds after she <laughs> she escaped the situation on her own, and then Clarence shows up. Like great, great timing, Clarence. Hey, he was out just getting burgers. Don't blame him. He drives her to safety now. But they do know now that the the mob has got a beat on him yeah so we'll go now to a scene with elliot driving down the highway or the interstate he's got a prostitute with him and she is truly a prostitute now she's not a girlfriend you don't know that she's a prostitute she is a prostitute she where 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 did he he says it in this scene he calls her a whore and she gets pissed at him yeah he calls her a whore that doesn't mean she's a prostitute okay all right fair enough Maybe she's not a prostitute, but I'm saying That's, she is. Yeah, if she was actually a prostitute, she probably wouldn't take as much offense to it. I thought she was like a rich, uh, like an actress or whatever, you know, a nice actress. And, and because Elliot got this sample bag of Coke from Clarence, he now has like a bunch of Coke and he's going to play Joe Cool with her and taking her driving. He's like, you're the one that wanted to drive fast. All right. Well, I took it as she was a prostitute, but either way. <laughs> she is not a prostitute. She works for the Russian ballet, okay? Uh, yeah. Well, whatever she is, she is not nice because the second he gets pulled over, he asks her to hide the coke that he's got on him. And instead, she gets pissed off. She says she's not hiding his coke for him. And then she uh, accidentally slash intentionally spills it all over him. So he literally has coke powder all over his face when the cop walks up. So there's no getting out of this arrest for poor Elliot. So he's fucked. Yeah, he is fucked, and he's arrested. So now we get an introduction to his uh, arresting officer. It wasn't really the arresting officer, but the main police officer that we're gonna we're gonna have here for the rest of the way, and that's Tom Sizemore's character, Officer Nicholson. Yeah, him and uh, Chris Penn's character. Uh, oh, what's his uh, detective? Nikki Dimes. Nikki Dimes and Cody Nicholson, those two are just absolutely great together. Yeah, I, I really like the way Sizemore is just – the whole time it seems like he's watching a football game. He's very excitable and interested, yeah. and, and he's laughing and enjoying his job very much. Oh, he's absolutely loving it. Yeah. And uh, and Chris Penn's character is much more like the serious type, but, uh, but Tom Sizemore is really like having a good time with this and enjoying it. And in this scene, they're asking for clearance to put a wire on Elliot and have Elliot wear the wire into this drug deal between Clarence and Lee. And they're going to bust everybody. 
they do get permission to do that. And so that's the plan now for the, for the police is to use Elliot to infiltrate this drug deal. Yeah. And he's, he, Elliot's not very high up on the cool chain. He's definitely a rollover type of guy with no allegiance and just kind of a Hollywood sleaze bag. Yeah. He flips on his boys pretty quickly, almost instantly. Sizemore even calls him a wuss. He's like, or sissy or something. He's like, this guy's such yeah. a sissy. He said he wear a wire. Yeah, he said, he's like, he would have rolled over on his mommy, his dad, his grand. He says some like line, but it's literally very Tarantino-esque. He's like, his granny two panties and the king of Siam, if he would have, if he could have. All right, so that's, that's the plan of the police. Clarence, for his part, has now taken Alabama to a safe couch on the side, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> on the side this of the was- road. That's a little strange. Like, uh, how did you find this little couch next to the airport just sitting there tucked away? I don't know. This was my least favorite scene in in the whole movie, I think. I didn't like this at all because Clarence is just so oblivious to the the pain that she's got to be in. I mean, you said this beating wasn't that bad, but he's just like wiping her down with a wet paper towel. And he's like, he's nursing. Yeah, he's nursing her wounds. Uh, like he's not what? nursing shit. He's talking yeah, about he's, like childhood he's, stuff. He's dabbing her down and like telling her, asking her where she wants to go, where she wants to move after they get. He's like reinvigorating hope in her. You know, like he feels nah. horrible. He feels horrible that he wasn't there to protect her during the beating too. And he's like, you know, you, the whole couch is full of like medical stuff that he obviously just went and picked up for. He doesn't and, like, feel they, that terrible about the beating. He's not even really talking about it. He, for, he glosses over the beating. He's like, wow, when I was a kid, I used to want to live near an airport. Meanwhile, she's he's, like laying there bleeding all over the place. He's comforting her and it works perfectly because <clears throat> she's forgetting about that. And she's like, yeah, we should move to here and there. And, you know, yeah. Like, what is he going to what do you want him to do? Sit there and be like, oh, my God, what an ass whooping you just took. Does that hurt? I bet that hurts. Oh, my God. Yes. I wanted him to take it more seriously. I wanted her to sell the beating better because she is totally fine. I mean, she just leans up against him and lays back. It's like, ah, yeah, let's look yeah, at the clouds. It's like, it's like a boxer after a fight that, the, you know, like it's not that like it still stings and you see her like going wincing when he when he's dabbing her up and like uh, adhering to her wounds. But uh, what do you want her to do? Like be uh, in an epileptic fit going through like, yeah, I it, want her to sell the just beating got, that she just it, took. Sell the beating. Yeah, it's a beating. It's not like, you know, the end of the world. Beatings are the end of the world for a lot of people that get them. And if you get beat hard enough, which she did, no. you're not she, just yeah. walking out of that like it's nothing. Sure you are. She looks like a UFC person after the after a fight that just got, you know, their face all cracked up. But they can still walk and do things and, you know. But I guess you're right. And Hans Zimmer is on your side because he reappears in the scene. <laughs> Hans in there to save the day, baby. Yeah. So I wanted a serious scene here, but they want lighthearted, and Hans wants lighthearted, and so that's what we got here. We got yeah. Well, it was. Fair. It's an important scene because it sets up that they're gonna they're gonna now use the money to get out of town, and where are they gonna go? And she says Cancun, and he's like, "Why Cancun?" She's like, "I don't know. It sounds nice." Uh. Clarence in Alabama go to Cancun. Sounds kind of like a movie. Yeah. Uh, like it's just reinforcing their love for each other. And, you know, it's a touching scene because he's, you know, adhering to her wounds. I guess. I, I just didn't like it. I felt very underwhelmed by this. Yeah. I didn't 
the gravity of the previous scene with Alabama, I felt, was undermined by this scene. Yeah, that's why we had to pull back because the last scene was so fucking intense. This one has to be like the relief so we can build to the next one, which is going to be even more intense. Okay, well, if that's how you view it, the climax is coming up. Yeah, and highlighted beautifully with Hans Zimmer's theme music right there. (laughs) No, it's not. <laughs> Hans invades is what my note says there. <laughs> Beautiful. So now back at Dick's house. Everyone meets again. Dick gets the role that he auditioned for. We find out in the scene. And the three of them agree to go to the hotel now and meet Lee. Well, okay, but to, to address what you said earlier, Dick got the role because Elliot told Lee that he was a good actor. And he says earlier in the scene, yeah, I lied to him. I told him you were good. Okay, so so he got the role because Elliot put the word in for him. Exactly. So that's why that original scene you were talking about matches up with this one now. And at this point, uh, um, he looks at at, um, Clarence and says, hey, Clarence. And he goes to, like, thank him. But Clarence like, yeah, what's up? And he just goes... Never, yeah, I was, was going to ask you about that. What's that about? Does he say, hey, Clarence, and then not because, say anything? Because Clarence coming into town has completely changed his life. So then why does he not say thanks? It's just a, nah, never mind. It's it's understood. They're buds. Okay. Well, I didn't understand why. I was actually, I, I wrote that down to ask you what yeah. was the big mystery behind what he was going to say. But I guess that's it. Yeah, it's like to thank him for all he's done. He's just, he's he got him the role and, you know, yeah. Well, everyone now prepares for the big deal. We see the FBI loading up Elliot with his wire and, and preparing him and preparing their SWAT team. We see the mafia loading up all their shotguns because they're going to go interrupt the deal. And we see Clarence also loading up his little pistol and his, his legs or his, his boots for this. So everyone's gearing up for this big drug deal. But Elliot gets loaded with the wire. I love the scene where the cops are, are loading it up and, and talking to him, like prepping him. It's almost like a game planning situation for Elliot. Oh, yeah. To and it's, get him it's, to keep his cool. Yeah. And it's so interesting because Tom Sizemore character is like laughing at his stupid jokes and being like, oh, Elliot, quit fucking around. You're too funny, man. You're too. He's like trying to give him confidence. But he, but they really they have never really done that before. They keep telling him like, hey, we're the best. We've done this a thousand times. But they obviously really don't know what they're doing because they send him in a harm's way, and then later, like he doesn't even remember to take his his bulletproof vest. So, like they're not the most uh, efficient. The, most efficient. They're not efficient cops. And it, even though I liked the performance, I did think it was a little weird how jokey they were, knowing that they were going to have to burst right into a very dangerous, dangerous situation. I would think that day on the job would be one of the most serious days as a police officer, knowing you had to burst in, but they're having the time of their life. And I still, I liked it. So it was was good. Yeah. And it's funny too, because the difference between like uh, Tom Sizemore's character and Chris Penn's character, because Tom Sizemore is really jokey and Chris Penn's not. So he, I remember that one time they hear a line like, Lee Donowitz says something like, are you kidding me? I've got more flavor of my dick. And like <laughs> the Tom Sizemore character cracks up laughing and, and Chris Penn goes sarcastically goes, mm, this guy's really funny. <laughs> so it, shows, it shows a nice little contrast between the two, but it just kind of, for some reason I noticed that. Well, speaking of noticing things, 
at the hotel now in the elevator. Clarence and Dick, Alabama, and Elliot are riding the elevator to the top floor where, where Lee is waiting for them. And Clarence here pulls his gun out and holds it to Elliot's head, threatens him because I guess he kind of somewhat suspects that Elliot might be a rat. Yeah, he picks up a weird vibe from Elliot, who's who's got who's wearing a wire and is super nervous, and he just kind of picks up on the vibe, and he's got the gun to his head. And he's like, "What am I walking into up there?" And like, freaks him out so much that Elliot just basically starts screaming for someone to come and save him. And he's talking about the cops. He's like, "If somebody would just come rescue me, I don't want to do this anymore." But he thinks he's flipping out just because he's so scared, and. So he goes, oh, it's okay. Don't worry. I was just, I was just messing with you. I just had a check. You know, <laughs> it's a neat little scene, but it's, it is kind of jammed in there. And Clarence does not trust his instincts here. And he says, yeah, you're not, a, you're not a rat. You're a good dude, Elliot. So he lets him off the hook. But while Elliot's pleading for his life, Sizemore's character is like, come on, Elliot, you pussy, you pussy. Don't give in. Yeah. You're a fucking like, actor. Act. Yeah, I love that, man. It's like he's watching a, a game and, like, watching his team lose. He's yelling at the TV. Yeah, and he's like, he goes, he's not going to shoot him. And, and Chris Penn's going, he's going to shoot him. He's like, he's not going to shoot him. And then he pulls the gun and pulls him up, and, and he goes, he's going to shoot him. Yeah. So even 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 Clarence has them fooled. And then when he quits, he gives the great line. He goes, he goes oh, I like this Clarence kid. He's a wild man. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he enjoys it, like, for some reason. I don't know. So we'll now get one last – Floyd scene in the movie and it's one of the best ones all the mobsters show up at his house to ask for directions to the hotel and they all have their shotguns and they're dressed in their mafia suits and they all they they menacingly lurk around the couch where where Floyd is sitting there and he's saying hey you guys want to smoke a bowl (laughs) they're all wearing their sunglasses and shit and then they're they're asking him for directions to the hotel and he's like you take a left and then you drive, and you keep driving, and you keep, you keep driving. driving. You're going to go to the safari uh, to take a, a right on. You guys want to smoke a bowl? And then somebody cocks a gun. is like, oh, okay. So you go right down there. <laughs> you want to drive, and you keep driving, keep driving. And then you're going to hang a right. <laughs> like, it's the most unspecific directions ever, like total directions that a stoner would give you. So that's the last we'll see, Floyd. That's his final scene. So good job, Brad Pitt. As way to, yeah, way to make something out of nothing. It was kind of a small character. Yep. So now we'll go back to the hotel. Clarence and his crew arrives at Lee's place. They talk about movies. They drink some coffee. There's a, a recurring theme that Clarence uses a lot of sugar in his coffee. They've shown it a couple times now. But eventually they get down to business. And they go off to the side to talk. And I wanted to ask you about this part. So Clarence and Lee go off to the side to talk. Elliot is there in the doorway. He's wearing the wire down by his his junk. And while they start talking about the details of the drug deal, Elliot starts adjusting his junk. Is he doing that intentionally to muffle the wire transmission? No, it's just it's he's doing it because it's like, you know, uncomfortable in his junk. And he starts moving it around and then it starts it starts fucking up and and the one guy says he's too far he's getting too far away from us or something yeah i didn't know if that was an intentional thing by elliot to try to maybe redeem himself it's an intentional device of the script so that they don't hear them discussing certain things about cocaine so they can't bust in on them yet otherwise they could immediately bust in so you're not giving 
you're not giving Elliot any credit for for delaying this bus. No, no, he's a fucking weasel. I was going to give him a little credit there. I thought he was doing that on purpose to to disrupt them. No, all right. No, he doesn't. He doesn't show any remorse in in that way. So it's not intentional. That answers my question. Yeah. Anyway, after they agree to the details of the deal, Clarence goes to the bathroom and consults his old mentor, Elvis, once again. Since my baby left me, I got a new place to dwell. It's down at the end of Jabroni Drive at the Smackdown Hotel. Very nice. Get that wrestling reference in there. Yeah, yeah. Not bad, huh? So while, while Clarence is in the bathroom, here's another question I had. He pulls out his gun and while he's talking to Elvis. Why did he pull out his gun? Was he going to shoot Lee and, and negate this drug deal? Or did he... Because he didn't seem to hear the ruckus that, that was going on outside. No, he just pulls his gun out while he's washing his hands so he doesn't shoot himself in the dick, I think. He just sets it next to him on the on the counter there. I, well, I mean, last time he consulted Elvis, it drove him to a murder, so I thought maybe he was gearing up for something. I didn't know what it was, but you're saying he just no, yeah. set no, it this down. Time, this, this time he's asking, he's basically asking Elvis, you don't think I was kissing his ass, do you? Because he, because when he came in there and he's talking to Lee Donowitz, he's telling him he li- he liked the movie Coming Home in a Body Bag, which was the movie Lee Donowitz made, and you know he's like, no, you weren't kissing his ass. You're telling him what he wants to hear. There's a difference. He's like, and you're doing it genuine from the heart, and that's why that's why people like you because you're genuine. Essentially, says something like that. But yeah, no, no, he's just basically asking Elvis if he did okay in that scene. Did he do all right? Did he was he okay? Was he was he was he playing it cool? He's like, yeah, man, you're cooler than cool. Well, while he's in the bathroom, the cops and the mafia all shows up or all show up. Mm-hmm. And there's a little three-way standoff now between the, the agents, the mafia, and Lee's bodyguards. Who have, like, highly fully automatic weapons. Yeah, here's, so- the one, here's the one part that kind of gets me because – when the cops burst in and they, those two guys have the guns, Lee, Lee's like, put your guns down. What the fuck are you doing? And the other two bodyguards are just gung-ho like, nah, fuck it. I hate cops. <laughs> There's one thing I never told you, Lee. I fucking hate cops. And it's like, why are these guys convinced on creating a situation here? It's like, yeah, man, we can, what am I paying like, you for? Yeah, he's like, you guys put your guns down. We, we could fucking kill you and you know it. <laughs> it's like, what? There's two of you. They had to have a standoff, so I guess that had to happen. And then when the mafia bursts in, everyone's got guns pointed at each other. Yeah, everyone's so yelling at each other. And so you got a three-way standoff, a Mexican standoff here between three different gangs. And Clarence is in the bathroom, but Elliot is now laying on the ground, and he he whispers softly to one of the officers, "Hey, can I can I go home now, officer? Whatever the guy's name is." Yeah, they're all yelling at each other, going, "Shut it! Put your guns down!" And he goes, "Officer Dimes, Officer Dimes." He's like, shut the fuck up, Elliot. And he's like, Officer Dimes, so <clears throat> this has nothing to do with me anymore. So I can just leave and you guys can settle this, right? <laughs> like, what, what bad timing to, to bring that up. Yep. But it's, it's the spark that's needed to set the scene off. Yeah, because Lee now knows. He gets so pissed off that he throws coffee in Elliot's face. Yeah. And that's, that's the physical act that, shoots, that starts the shooting. So once then the cops shoot him, and now everybody starts opening fire because they think 
they're all in danger. So it's, it starts the shooting of the whole thing. Yeah, there's the feathers from the couch are flying all over the place now during this big shootout. I, I do like the feathers and the music that's kind of going on. Like it's a soft, uh, soft, sad music almost. And the feathers are like when the, when the last cop gets shot. But then, like, Dick throws the bag of cocaine up, and for some reason, the gangsters just pull up and shoot the cocaine, the bag of cocaine, because I guess they're just firing at whatever moves. And uh, they blow all the cocaine up, and Dick runs out of the room because that was his distraction to get people to shoot the other way. So yes. Dick makes it out alive. Clarence walks out of the bathroom, and he gets shot immediately. Yeah, he gets a shot to the eye, and what's her? Uh, Alabama's crawling towards him when it happens, and she sees it happens. And then she like jumps on him as crying. No, no. Yeah, she does the slow motion Clarence and yeah. goes and cries over his dead corpse. While this is going on, there's a standoff between three characters that I didn't care about at all. It was like that secondary cop, some like another cop that we'd never even seen before, and then that security the rogue security guy or whatever, the mobster. They drew out this scene and like they made it seem like a high stakes thing, but I didn't care about any of these guys. I thought this scene was very strange. Well, the point was all of them had to die. So we need all of them to die. So nobody has any connection to our two main characters. So they could kind of make a clean getaway. So the mobster shoots the one cop. He dies. The other cop, the, uh, the partner of Tom Sizemore, he kills the mobster. And then he's standing there. He's the last man standing but Alabama, in a rage, just says, fuck you, and she shoots the cop and kills him. So yeah. Alabama and, well, all right, spoiler, spoiler alert, Clarence Here's, isn't dead. It's not a spoiler. It's <laughs> happening right now. All right. So he wakes up. Yeah, he wakes up, and, like, she's wiping blood. There's blood all over his eye. He's, like, she's dragging him out, basically, and he's kind of slumped on her shoulder, half walking. Now she's comforting him. He's, like... It's just the teamwork of the two. Like, you know, it shows like earlier he was doing that to her. Now she's doing it for him. And they're kind of, there's the, the Italian mobsters, a couple of them apparently left out of there and now have all the cops are showing up to this hotel, but they think all the, all the mobsters are the ones they're after. And these two kind of just slink by while the, while the mobsters are being held up by the cops and getting shot at. So they slink out and hop into the car and make a clean getaway with all the money and nobody nobody knew a thing you know nobody knows any better nobody has any connection to them at all because everyone's now all dead that knew them yep yeah they escape right out the front door they have the money they don't have the coke anymore but they do have each other so they drive off into the sunset they apparently have a son that they name elvis yeah and they live in cancun together happily ever after but they're not the last character that we're going to have to be forced to see because Hans invades once again. Well, of course they're going to end yeah. with the theme music. I mean, yeah, of hell? course he's going to invade. I'm surprised Hans didn't invade the, the Jim Gandolfini scene. Dude, it's an, it's an iconic uh, jingle and it's actually on a, a commercial right now. So it's not iconic. It's not even in his top five soundtracks. It's not oh, even close. Man. The whole world loves this jingle. They're all against you. Everyone's judging you right now for not liking this jingle. It's from The Lion King. He ripped himself off. 
Well, if the Lion King came out later, then the Lion King ripped this off, okay? I'm not sure which came out first, actually. Let me Swayze this one up. Yeah, Patrick Swayze, when did the Lion King come out? Click, 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 click. Lion King. Well, I'll tell you what, the Lion King made a lot more money. 1994, one year after this. All right, so he, he ripped his own self off. But the theme fits way better with Lion King than it does with, with this dark, blood-filled movie. I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm going to have to watch The Lion King because I don't remember this from The Lion King. I mean, he maybe changes a note or two, but basically this guy's just a dude with a xylophone just jamming out and making millions. <laughs> Hell yeah. What a job. That's yeah, what a job. Great I want. I, you're just jealous of Hans Zimmer who's making millions off of a xylophone. Yeah, I am jealous of Hans Zimmer. Like, <laughs> give me a break. Come on, man. Dun, 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 dun. Everything you see is yours, Zimba. <laughs> oh, guess what else about Hans Zimmer? So you know what? that part. That part I, just, in- I just called him Zimba. <laughs> <laughs> Hans Zimba. You know that part in The Dark Knight when the Joker's giving the why so serious speech and the music yeah. is just one Twisting. cello note getting higher? Yeah. That's yeah. Hans Zimmer, and he specifically oh. said, he did that just to piss people off, to do something they wouldn't like to hear. Oh, my God. It works perfectly, though. The guy's a fucking artist. He's an asshole. <laughs> he is killing it. He is writing music for some of the greatest movies that we've ever seen. That, that's true. We can't escape Hans Zimmer. So no. let's escape him now, because that's the end of the movie. <laughs> true romance. Pretty darn good. I was afraid. I would offend you the whole time, but I I kept my complaints mostly to Hans. You know, it's yeah. the rest of the movie is good, and I could definitely see why you could fall in love with a movie like this. Yeah, it's a phenomenal. I think that that's like what I said earlier. It's just all the way through. It's entertainment. There's such good performances. Like if you're an actor, this is a movie to watch because there's there is no bad performances in it, and it really punctuates the idea of. There are no small roles, only small actors. So <clears throat> these small roles that all these these really good actors take and, and create and just bring to this movie really make it breathe and make it a full, awesome movie. And, and nobody drops the ball. Like, I can't think of one person in this movie that, that drops the ball in their performance. Here's something interesting that I'm reading off of Wikipedia right now. Empire ranked True Romance the 83rd greatest film of all time in 2017. They put this movie in the top 100 of movies of all time. Well, we can rank this movie as well. But before we do that, did you have any favorite lines from True Romance? Oh, I did. <clears throat> I do. Actually, Let's I, go back. I feel like yeah. I should do my favorite lines first because yeah, you go ahead. you're going to have almost all of mine, I'm sure. All right. Well, yeah. and, and some more, too. Yeah. But I did have uh, quite a few. So yeah, the first right. one comes early, and it's from Alabama when she insults the city of Detroit and says, I would have never thought that true romance and Detroit go together. And so we have that in common with her because we insulted Detroit by comparing it to Osgiliath in our Lord of the Rings series. 
<laughs> I forgot entirely about that, but that's that's one hundred percent true. We did. I don't have. I've never been to Detroit. I don't have anything against it, other than everything I've heard about it is it's just a really rundown city. Yeah, not much of a reputation anymore for Detroit. Yeah, I like when Drexel tells Clarence when Clarence says, "Oh, that's my wife," and he says, "That's your wife." Well, then that makes us practically related. <laughs> yeah. And another Drexel line I liked a lot is when he says, now I know I'm pretty, but I can't, but I ain't as pretty as a couple of titties. Yeah. Because <laughs> he wonders why Clarence is staring at him and not looking at the bare breasts that are on the TV. Yeah. And then uh, yet another Drexel line, and I'm sure you have this one too, is after he beats Clarence's ass nearly into a pulp, he says to his bodyguard, he must have thought it was white boy day. It ain't white boy day, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's one of mine. Shit, motherfucker must have thought it was white boy day. It ain't white boy day, is it? And then I've and, got... But the, the funny part about that is the, the bodyguard's like, no, no, it no. ain't. But he's like checking his nose and like putting his <laughs> nose back together. And and uh, Drexel's all fucked up too. Like, <laughs> like he got him good. And I only have a couple more. And they're both from Floyd in the same scene. Uh, in, the, in the one scene... Virgil asked Floyd, you guys sort of uh, roommates? And and Floyd says, yeah, exactly roommates. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. And then the final one is after Virgil leaves. Floyd yeah. says, don't condescend me, man. Fucking kill you, man. <laughs> yeah, it condescend me, man. I'll fucking kill you. It's not even a, like a standoff, really, but it's but the, he gives he gives Virgil everything he needs, and then walks out and like he's like smoking his joint in his hand. He's like, "Condescend me, man! I'll fucking kill you!" <laughs> like he's like he's some badass. Like everybody in this movie thinks they're a badass, though. So, yeah, it's like a recurring theme that that keeps going on. It's just fun how each character plays it. So that does it for me. Did you have any that I didn't hit <clears throat> on there? Yeah, so my first one comes when she's out there and she goes, I feel really goofy saying this after only knowing you one night, being a call girl and all, but I think I love you. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, that's so sweet. Oh, and she's getting a tattoo and she's talking about Drexel. And she goes, he goes, is he black? And he goes, he said his mama was an Apache, but I suspect he's lying. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, that's something that some white gangster would say. And then they must have thought it was White Boy Day. <clears throat> oh, when Christopher Walken punches uh, Dennis Hopper in the face, he's like, that ain't any kind of fun. But what I had to offer you, that's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's meaning, hey, I just punched you in the face. Like, that hurts, but it's only going to get worse from here. Oh, and uh, uh, Floyd smoked the second page of the letter, by the way. He's like, I didn't know what you were saying. <laughs> He's like, I didn't know what, what was bullshit and what was not because he sends Dick a letter and he goes, Dick's talking about this. He goes, I know what was bullshit and what was not. And also, by the way, Floyd smoked the second half of the letter. So Floyd rolled up some weed and, and Chris, uh, Clarence's letter to, to Yeah, Dick. exactly, exactly. And I think that's my last line. All right. Well, it is a very quotable movie, that's for sure. Yeah, there's definitely some quotes in there. And so now with that out of the way, we can get to the grades for yeah. True Romance. And you should probably go first, right? 
Sure, I'll go first if you want me to. Yeah, go first. But I, I mean, it's hard to like. It's it's a great movie. It didn't. It wasn't really a box office success, which was interesting to me because it's packed full of names that people should have lined up to go see this movie. But for some reason, it didn't do a whole lot in the box office. But it's gone on to be, you know, a kind of a cult classic sort of movie. As I said earlier, like there's a, a magazine ranking in the top 100 of films. So <clears throat> it's a, I think it's a great movie and it's from beginning to end. It's entertaining. Like I said before, the acting performances are worth watching just for that. It's star studded. It's packed with absolute stars. And it was written by Tarantino who, whether you like him or not, he's written a lot of movies that stand out in Hollywood. And he's got a knack for writing these type of scripts and, and, the dialogue is one of the highlights of it, to be honest, because it's, it's uh, like I said, it's, it's a street poetry almost sort of, it's like uh, these characters aren't eloquent, but they're expressive and they're emotional and they, and you know, there's a lot of thematic stuff. Like it's one of those movies where like, I know you love the aspect of when you watch a movie a second, third and fourth time, you see new things that connect dots and add up and, uh, they're using thematic stuff in it and, and motifs and symbolism and stuff like that. And that makes good scripts. So I love the movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's not a perfect movie, uh, but for me it's up there and I'm going to give it a 19 to 20 because it's that, I think it's that fucking good to me. Uh, It would have made a 20 out of 20 if we'd had a little bit more Hans Zimmer in there. (laughs) Yeah, it was just lacking a little bit of Hans. And that's another thing. I didn't even mention the music feeds it beautifully. Like there's a few scenes. Like I know you said there's some scenes where the music doesn't match. But there are some scenes like when when Dennis Hopper starts telling his story and the music starts playing in the background. It's just perfectly placed and accents it perfectly, I think. And. Like the hello baby, like when he shows up at the one place and starts showing playing some Elvis and and even the Aerosmith song, like you said, it, it, it the the music is carefully picked and and feeds feeds the movie. I think so. It's pretty well rounded in my eyes. Yeah, I I think the music definitely feeds the story at times, and then other times I felt like it was totally off the mark. So I've got a mixed feeling about the music, not the acting though and the acting performances, that was the best part. And it has so many scenes that stand out to me that I could watch, you know, maybe just pull them up on YouTube and just watch these scenes. Like the, the Drexel scene. I loved the standoff with Walken and Hopper was great. The James Gandolfini scene, all the Floyd scenes. I loved all of those by themselves. And this movie is, this movie is very rewatchable. I watched it three nights in a row for the podcast and at no point did I feel like it was a chore to watch. So that's good. And that, that ups it. I'm not very impressed with the story itself. It's if you take away the acting performances within the story and you just look at it as an outline of a story, it's pretty bare bones and basic. It's a love story with an element of some action and, you know, nothing, really creative there i don't think but it it works and it's fine the music again i'm gonna give it a a slight downgrade because of the hans zimmer thing just really wore on me god 
I love it. So good. It is. It is good the first time, and I tricked myself both both times I watched this. I was like, yeah, I can't believe I didn't like this. This is great. And then by they the even, sixth or seventh time, I'm like, oh, stop. Dude, did you even did you even notice when he got shot? Like, and they, we think he's dead. They play like a sad version of it. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and watch that. Yeah. I guess you gotta go back and watch just for that. So score wise, this movie is definitely rewatchable. I have no problem rewatching it. And it even cracks up above the fact of being a good movie. And that, that would put it at a 15. Throw in the acting performances and particularly James Gandolfini. And I'm going to give this movie a 16 and a half out of 20. Oh. Well, here, here's why you have to raise it one point. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. James Gandolfini landed his iconic role of Tony Soprano on The Sopranos when he was invited to audition for the role after casting director Susan Fitzgerald saw a short clip of his performance in True Romance. So it got him the role. So he, Tony Sopranos would not, The Sopranos would not have happened with James Gandolfini had he not played in this movie. All right. You know what? I'll I'll actually give you this one. I'm going to raise it from a 16 and a half to a 17. Just yeah. because of that. 17 yeah. out of 20 Rancho I win, Tacos. I win the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you win the podcast because you defended <laughs> Hans Zimmer, but you, you earned that half a point for sure. All right. I knew I, I knew I could raise the I knew I mean I said a full point. You should raise it a full point. Like I raised it three points on what was it? The the one uh, Texas Chainsaw. I raised that three points just because of the originality. Bullshit. Well, I already yeah. raised it a point and a half for Big Jim, and I just gave you another half. So come on, oh, Seven... that's two points. That's not bad. Yeah, it's a good one. So that's a great movie, and I was glad to have done it. And this starts the first of a little mini series we're doing, which is our favorite movies. Mm. True Romance being yours, and next week we're going to go to a movie that I have seen. Not even lying to you, I've probably seen this movie. 100 to 150 times over the past year. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a good one, too. It's a good I might put. I'm going to put it on right when we get off here, probably. Yep. The Lighthouse. And it blows my mind still to this day, this movie. And we're going to talk about it a lot next week, so I won't get too far into it. But anyone that listens to the podcast, if you have not seen The Lighthouse or True Romance, for that matter, you got to mm-hmm. watch these movies. Yep. Yeah, they're definitely worth watching. I mean, we're into movies. We like them, and we think these are a couple of our favorites of all time. Yeah, you got to check them out. Got to check these ones out. And the cool thing about it is these are not particularly, like, notorious movies that people would know, or not notorious, but, you know, famous movies that people would, that everybody's watched, because I don't think The Lighthouse has a, a huge, got a huge reception. No, but, it, def- it definitely didn't. Yeah, and True Romance is kind of similar. Like, if you mentioned it, a lot of people haven't seen these movies, and they're worth watching. So that's coming up next week, The Lighthouse. Where should people email us? Email us at rancidtacopodcast at gmail.com. Very good. Hail, Payman. Hail, Melkor. Hail, Mothers. Hail, Mary Moss. Hail, Marlon Brando. Well, hail Blix, then. Yeah, but what's Blix's first name? Blix doesn't have a first name. He's like Madonna. Good. <laughs> the artist formerly known as Blix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Well, hail Caesar. Uh, and hail Coba. And hail Defoe. And hail Heath. Yep. And hail Franklin. <laughs> Did we add him in? <laughs> no. <laughs> are we? Are we now adding him in? I mean, the hail game is nearing an end. So can we? Add, yeah. Can we add Franklin? Uh God. I mean, why not? Hail Tommy. All right. Hail Tommy. And hail. And Dale. That's it. I think yeah. that's got to be it. That's got to be it. Yep. All right. Well, Lighthouse next week. Big award show the following week. And yeah. Crew oh, we, didn't, we didn't even pump. We didn't even pump that up. But the award show is uh, coming up is the one year anniversary of our show. We're going to be doing an award show for every movie that we've done. That's almost 50 some movies. Yeah, it might be 50 movies exactly, or 50 shows exactly when we uh, get yeah. to that. Because so. we're dedicated. We didn't take uh, much time off for any of this. We yeah. steady, steady Eddie. We didn't. And I'm going to praise us even more when the time comes for that. So yeah, I'll withhold our my praise for us until then. Yeah, and it's really rekindled our friendship. Or maybe drawn it asunder. I don't know. <laughs> the battle lines are being drawn every, every <laughs> yeah. week. That's for sure. Yeah, I thought I liked you more until after this. Well, I used to think you were smarter and respect your opinions more, and then, and it's yeah. like, oh, Hans Zimmer, huh? Well, <laughs> now I know. I'm just gonna start. I'm just gonna put that music as your ringtone when you call me. That's fine because your ringtone is. Oh, well, there's a path down there between them two old sheds. Grand will breach it. Grand will break it. <laughs> yeah. All, All right. right. Well, get your impression voice ready for next week. And yep. we will. No. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs> <laughs> and we will thank everybody for listening. Yeah. We have thanked everybody for listening, and now we will see you next week. Yeah, we won't see you, though. We'll hear, you'll hear us. Thanks, everybody, for listening. You'll hear us again. <laughs> All right, goodbye. From Webster to Morocco Who needs rotten tomatoes When you've got the rancid tacos This podcast is brought to you by West Virginia Pepperoni Rolls So now back at Dick's house So now back at Dick's house So now back at Dick's house. So now back at Dick's house. So now back at Dick's house.